Hello and welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne, and normally my good friend Dan is here, but Dan is off this week. So joining me this week is another friend who's big into comic books, superhero movies, and all things geek. Luke, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You've been on my show a couple times, and now I get to be on yours. Yes, yes. It's about time I, I got you over here. It just took sending Dan off to Europe in order for it to happen. But I am glad you're here. I didn't realize that you were a comic book reader, and, and I know you're into, in, into all things geek. You, you've got a geek podcast called Geek Confidential, which I, which I listen to and, like you said, have been on. Um, how long have you been reading comic books, and, and who are some of your favorite superheroes? So I should probably confess, I when I was a kid growing up, we didn't really have comics. So when I got into comics, it was when I was in college, which was about the time of, of the Ultimate line, which a lot of people don't like, but I love the art in them and I love the stories. So I'm one of those people who actually liked the Ultimates. And so that was sort of my introduction Ironically, that was a Marvel line, but I've always gravitated to DC characters in like the animation and the television shows and that type of thing. Okay, sure. So until the Marvel Cinematic Universe came along, I was pretty much all DC. I had my favorites, of course, on the Marvel side, Iron Man, Wolverine, Emma Frost, but DC was where my heart was. And right. so then the MCU came along and I'm like, I am here for Iron Man. Robert Downey Jr. is amazing. Uh-huh. And I'm I'm diving all into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They've done such a fantastic job. I only started reading comic books because I loved all the stuff that I was seeing in the MCU. So I, I'm new to the, newer, newer to the game as well. And I think it's been a lot of fun. Uh, discovering not only the characters in the MCU, but going and seeing the inspiration from them, the original comic books where where they kind of made their debut. There's been a great deal of talk on social media over the last few weeks about who has been spotted on the set of the new Deadpool film, which is currently in principal photography. Someone we've known for some time that was going to be joining the Merc with a mouth in his third go-around was revealed months ago in a video with Ryan Reynolds, and that's Hugh Jackman. For Jackman, he's reprising his role as the adamantium claw-wielding Wolverine from the X-Men, who's one of your favorites. So this week, Luke and I, we're going to spend some time looking back on what we thought was going to be Jackman's last performance as the Wolverine in the 2017 film Logan. This was your recommendation, Luke. It is. And part of the reason for that is I have some friends who are super into X-Men comics, but I haven't actually read a lot of the X-Men team comics. I tend to be more attracted to the solo titles. I love Wolverine, but other than the animated cartoons where the X-Men are all together, I don't read a lot of the like the group comics. And so I was like, hmm, what can we watch that isn't part of the existing Marvel Cinematic Universe? And so I was like, do you by chance, have you by chance already talked about Logan? Because if not, that would be a real fun one to talk about. 
it was made in 2017, so it's been made since the MCU has been in development, but it was done by a different 20th Century Fox, and so we haven't had a chance to talk about it yet, so I thought this was a great recommendation, and it gave me a great excuse to watch the movie again for the, for the first time in quite a while. We will be talking about Logan here in just a minute, but before we dive into that, let's talk about some stuff that's going on in the comics this week. Marvel returns to X-Men Days of Future Past in Doomsday. I, I saw this and I had to talk about this because Days of Future Past, the movie, is one of my favorites. and The same. I love that movie. It, it is fantastic. And so Marvel is celebrating the X-Men's 60th anniversary with a new book, or it looks like a series of books, called X-Men Days of Future Past Doomsday. It is a prequel to the classic X-Men story, Days of Future Past, from Arrow creator Mark Guggenheim and artist Manuel Garcia. X-Men Days of Future Past, Doomsday, is going to reveal all the previously unforeseen events that bridge the gap between the classic era of the all-new, all-different X-Men and the dystopian future of Uncanny X-Men 141 and 142, which is considered the original Days of Future Past story by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. So this is available June 12th, so it is out now in comic book stores, issue one. And uh, this seems like something I might might go trying to find. What about you? Darn it. Um, I had my pull list done. And when I go into the comic book store, I don't have a lot of time. And so usually and the hours that they're open don't quite work with my schedule. So I try and sneak in there and I'm like, I've got these. I need to have them pulled. We need to get I, I need to keep going. So I don't have a lot of time to browse. And uh, now I really wish that I'd had some time to browse. Yes. because. I love the movie. I would have loved to I would love to go back and look at this. I, I definitely agree. So one other quick thing is there's a new trailer for the Blue Beetle movie, which comes out August 16th. Have you seen this? I have seen it and I am excited. So for me, this was one of those ones where I've read some of the more recent Blue Beetle comics, but it it was one of those things where everything that's been going on with the DC universe and everything that's transpired, you're like, where is this going to end up? Uh The most recent Shazam was not great. Right. Um, And so I saw the trailer and I'm like, this is going to be a ton of fun. And what I thought was interesting about it that will sort of tie into some of the discussion that we have about Logan is the fact that this film unlike some of the other dc ones seemed very family focused and in logan we end up seeing a lot of either found family or biological family he finds out and so i was like okay there's sort of a correlation between this trailer and what we're going to be talking about but i was i'm super excited and i hope it does well because technically they are saying that this could be in the new universe and so if it does well or even if it just does solidly it can be an ant-man for all we need like ant-man didn't do blockbuster the first time it came out but it did well enough and all i need it to do is well enough to get another one i i saw i've seen the first trailer that they released for for blue beetle a couple times with going and seeing other movies and it looked okay it didn't look fantastic it didn't look like anything i really necessarily needed to see but I have to tell you, I'm in complete agreement about this new trailer. 
it looks a lot of fun and it looks like it could be exciting. It could be fun. I don't know anything about the blue beetle, but it does look like there's enough here from an origin standpoint that we're, that I'm not going to be lost or anything like that. So I I'm hoping it does well enough to uh, continue into the post James Gunn DC universe, uh, you know, post Superman legacy and all that, that, when he really starts putting his stamp on thing. Absolutely agree. Um, on the on my podcast, we were recently doing this, our favorite movies so far in terms of best and worst, and we were talking about the different ones. And I was thinking that Blue Beetle was coming in November, and my co-hosts were like, no, it's coming up in August. And so I was like, okay, I'm crossing my fingers. I hope it does well. August can be hit or miss with blockbusters. But this steam feels to me a lot like Aquaman. Aquaman wasn't a great movie, but it was a ton of fun and you can watch it multiple times. And that's the same vibe I'm getting for this. So let's hope that it happens that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So normally we talk about what's new, newly available in Marvel Unlimited this week. And like last week or two weeks ago, I guess now, as we're talking about this, the website, marvel.com, is broken, so we can't actually see what new comics are available this week. So we'll have a link in the show notes. You can check it out, see if you can find something in there by the time you get to it. But uh, as of right now, we don't have any comics to talk about that are newly available on Mar- Marvel Unlimited. Did Thanos snap his fingers and have the website go out? I mean, it's, is that what it was? It's It's gone out a couple times, so it's not necessarily something that uh, I think it's somebody somebody's messed up the database or something. So okay. uh, that sort of thing. But I, I asked Luke if he had anything interesting from his poll list that he wanted to recommend. And it looks like you've got something for us this week, Luke. Well, who doesn't love an anti-hero? And I loved Loki in the MCU movies. I love him in the television show. His his second season is coming out in the fall. And so Loki number one came out recently, and I really enjoyed it. The art is great. Um, it's by Dan Waters, uh, German Peralta, and Mike Spicer. The art is great. The story, of course, Loki and Thor are always a great duo to play off of each other. And Loki, you just need Loki to be Loki, and you can a lot of times get a really good story. So if you're looking for something that's fresh because it's a number one, it's been out recently, go for the, go for Loki. Yes, Loki number one is from June 7th, and uh, yeah, it looks really interesting. Apparently he is tasked with trying to find powerful weapons that have been strewn across the 10 realms so it almost sort of sounds like he's being tasked by an agency to like fix timelines apparently he gets tasked with a lot of random stuff yes 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 so we'll have a link to the article about loki number one on marvel.com you can check that out if that's sounds like something you're interested in All right, let's dive in and let's talk about Logan. But before we do that, we'll do our customary spoiler warning. Despite the fact this movie came out in 2017, we are going to be talking about specifics with the plot, about actors and actresses that are in the movie, the direction, all that sort of thing. So if you have not seen Logan recently and do not want anything spoiled, please stop the recording right now and then Come back when you've watched Logan and join us for the discussion. 
All right, your film facts for Logan. The tagline for the movie is, His Time Has Come. The movie was released March 3rd, 2017. The runtime is 137 minutes. The box office take worldwide was just over $619 million. Domestically, it earned $226 million on a budget of $97 million. It has an IMDb rating of 8.1 out of 10 and stars Hugh Jackman, Daphne Keene, Richard E. Grant, Boyd Holbrook, and Patrick Stewart. It is directed by James Mangold and screenplay by Scott Frank, James Mangold, and Michael Green. Those are your film facts for the movie Logan. All right, Luke, we are going to be doing a recap of the movie. So if you have not seen this recently, this is a recap of everything that happens in the movie quickly, trying to as quickly as possible. And then we'll jump in and we'll talk about uh, some of the, the key things that we want to talk about about this film. Sounds good. The movie opens with an aging James Howlett sleeping in his limousine as some guys attempt to strip it for parts. Logan confronts and kills several of the thieves before each go their separate ways. We then learn Logan is one of the few remaining mutants left in the world, and the years have not been kind. His body isn't healing like it once had, and he's resorted to using alcohol to dull the pain. He's also caring for Professor Charles Xavier in an abandoned dig site south of the border in Mexico, doing so by driving his limo. During a job, he's approached by a woman named Gabriella, saying she needs the Wolverine's help. Logan refuses, but eventually ends up meeting her at a hotel where she offers to pay him $50,000 if he'll take her and her daughter, Laura, to North Dakota. Logan agrees, but before he can return, the woman is killed with Logan finding the body. He returns to the professor only to realize that Laura is hitched a ride in the trunk and the men that killed Gabriella, called the Reavers, were following him. There's a brutal fight in which we learn Laura has adamantium claws and is just as capable of protecting herself with them as Logan is. Logan, Charles, and Laura escape and head to Oklahoma City to regroup and figure out their next move. Along the way, we learn that Laura was one of a group of kids that were trained in a lab to be killers with mutant powers and that Laura, designated X-23, is an attempt to reproduce what was done to Logan. The Reavers continue to track them and catch up to them in Oklahoma City. There, they nearly take Laura and Charles while Logan is out finding a new vehicle, but the professor has a psionic episode that incapacitates the men long enough for Logan to return and save them. Now on the road once again, the group helps the Munson family with a trailer full of horses who then invite them back to their place in gratitude. Once again, the Reavers and the doctor employing them, Dr. Xander Rice, show up looking for Laura with even more help grown in a lab, a Wolverine clone named X-24. Another brutal battle ensues. Charles is killed by the X-24 and Laura is nearly taken, but the father of the family saves Logan before succumbing to his injuries, which allows Logan and Laura to escape yet again. Laura eventually gets Logan to take her to North Dakota, and when they arrive, most of the other kids from the lab are there waiting to cross the border into Canada. The Reavers and Dr. Rice make one last attempt to capture the kids the morning they start their trek north. Logan realizes this and goes after them in an attempt to allow the kids to get away. 
One final battle takes place with the kids killing Dr. Rice and Logan and Laura fighting the fully healed X-24. Logan takes the worst of the fight before being impaled on a large tree branch. Laura stops the X-24 from killing him by using an adamantium bullet to his head. Although Laura is able to cut Logan free from the tree, he ultimately dies in her arms. The kids bury Logan before continuing to Canada. This is definitely not your Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning cartoon. No, it is. It, th- this is not the X-Men uh, cartoon from the 80s. This is this was a very graphic, very, very adult movie. So and and that that recap probably doesn't quite do it justice, but it gives you an idea of everything that sort of happens at a high level in the movie. Let's jump in and let's talk about some of the the aspects of this. And I think we need to start with with Laura, the 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 small girl, X23. She she really was kind of the focal point of this movie and and very well played by Daphne Keene. What did what did you think of her because she she is I think a standout in this film. She's fantastic. When this movie came out, I kept thinking to myself, this girl deserves an Oscar nomination because she did more with silence than we get from a lot of people with scripts. Right. And it was every single emotion. It was sorrow. It was pain. It was anger. It was fury. Even a little happiness every once in a while. She did an amazing job. I loved her so much in this when she was cast in the HBO show His Dark Materials. I knew I had to watch it as well and I've watched her in those three seasons and she was equally as good in the it. Yeah, you, you talk about her not having much in the way of dialogue. She doesn't actually even speak a word of dialogue until after 90 minutes of the movie has has taken place. It is, it is crazy how much she is able to communicate without actually saying anything. Yes, it's it's very impressive. And the thing about it is, is that she's opposite of two very talented actors. And it's not like they had to lift her up because she was a child actress. It was that she matched them. It was not something where they were doing the heavy lifting. She matched them. Yeah, she played she played the role exactly the way it needed to be played. So it it just it fit. It was like it was like the jigsaw puzzle where the three pieces, the three main characters fit perfectly with each other. Absolutely. The Laura character specifically actually was very savage too. You think about the way we've seen Hugh Jackman play Wolverine and and how savage he is with the claws and and some of the moves and between Daphne Keene and and her stunt double, they did a really good job of sort of matching that same savage energy and the ability to do these these moves with the claws and and jumping and different things like that. So she looked every bit kind of the the equal almost of of, of the Wolverine and being able to 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 use the claws effectively. And she was a little bit feral. I mean, he was feral because he's old and going insane. And she's feral because she's young and has been basically trapped. Yeah. Um, But she portrayed it amazingly. Yes, definitely agree with that. All right. So we talked about Laura. I think we have to talk about Hugh Jackman as well, because Jackman has played the Wolverine from his first movie to this movie. He played the Wolverine character logan for 17 years across nine films i think this is the best version of logan that we've seen on screen from hugh jackman 
Without question. And the thing about it is, as I was thinking, that first movie where we see him in the fight cage, you can almost still see a glimmer of that in old in this older version of Logan, Old Man Logan. They did the callback in which Xavier mentions that to him. And you're like, not only are they doing it with dialogue, but you're also getting a sense of it in the character. And Jackman has basically time traveled. Well, okay, a little, if you want to go that way. But like in this character, he has done so much. And yet when it comes down to it, the most powerful thing that he does is in this, I'm not going to call it a quiet movie because it's certainly not quiet, but in this very controlled performance that just pulls you in. And even though there's excessive violence, you can't look away from his, his performance. It's wonderful. It's completely wonderful. Like the reason I think this is his best version of Wolverine uh, is he is not the Wolverine that we think of when we think of Wolverine. He is a busted, broken down man and he is aging. He he looks rough as all get out. You know, he's drinking heavily. He doesn't really have his superpowers. He can barely get the claws to come out of his out of his fists. Uh, you know, he's he he's able to kind of pop the bullets out of him when he gets shot, but he's not really healing. You know, he's he's got all these wounds and stuff and I, I just find it fascinating when you have superheroes that don't aren't really superheroes anymore. See how they kind of react and how they're able to get along and, and how they're able to kind of be heroic despite the fact they don't have superpowers anymore. And so we had less CGI. We had more acting. And I have to tell you, there is the moment when Charles gets stabbed by the X-24 and... Logan goes running in and sees that Charles is stabbed in the bed and he picks him up and and they've been kind of adversarial throughout this whole movie to this point. And you hear him saying, it wasn't me, Charles. It wasn't me. Just sort of kind of tugged the heartstrings a little bit because despite the fact they were kind of going at each other's wits end, he, he still thinks of him as a father figure. Isn't that what family does, though? Yeah. I mean, you, could, you can fight passionately. You can love passionately. That's what, as I was re-watching this for the podcast, that's what kept coming home to me. The fact that if you think about found family, you think about biological family, we have both of those in this story. But if you take and spread that view out a little bit to the first movie, he was a loner. He was by himself. He was being recruited to be part of the X-Men and to join this family, and he was reluctant to do so. And yet he became a part of it, and over the course of those movies, we got to see this character open up and actually begin to, whether he wanted to admit it or not, sort of care for and love these other characters. And so by the time we get to the end, we are at a Logan where... You can tell there have been some family fights, and those have been knocked down, drag out family fights. Uh Everybody has scars, physical and metaphorical, and you can tell that he has just been put through the ringer, both physically, 
emotionally, and that relates to what he's had to do for those he loves, whether he wants to admit that he loves them or not. And he started to put up some of those protective barriers that we saw at the very first, in the very first movie, so that when he is exposed to Laura, it's almost like he's reset back to the beginning in terms of his not wanting to take care of her. And yet, over the course of this journey, of this arc, he learns that she's biologically connected to him, he takes care of her, and in the end, she calls him daddy. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the father figure with Xavier there. I mean, it, like, it checks all the marks of biological and found family and the love him or hate him or both dynamic that those can involve. Yeah, we should also point out is in addition to Dragman playing Logan in this, he's also the X-24. And, you know, they've got his hair dyed, you know, dark and, and real Buzz short and, and and everything like this. And so he, he's actually playing two characters in this. But the, the, the one I think he did, you know, obviously more of the heavy lifting of this movie in was, was the older Logan. And, you know, he's got makeup and... Uh, they use some they use some aging CG to try and make him look a little older as well. And and I and I think they just they just nailed it. And then, you know, Hugh Hugh Jackman is a good actor. Like he yes. he is not a, somebody that you look at and you're like, oh, the only reason he is popular is because he was the Wolverine in these big spectacle movies for for almost two decades he is a good actor he's very versatile he can do lots of different things he doesn't necessarily have to show all of those things in the in the x-men movies but it proves that when he's asked to be when he's asked to do a more character driven role like the logan role is in this film he can absolutely nail it which he does in this film he is arguably one of the most talented people his age in Hollywood from the standpoint that he can go from the greatest showman to Wolverine. Now, I will say this. He needs a better agent because not all of his movie picks are like to star in. Like there were some movies that came out, one that came out during the pandemic in which I was like, can I get my subscription back for having watched this on the streaming pre- platform? So, like, he doesn't ha- always make the greatest movie picks, but in the movies where things really stand out, he completely shines. I will watch him in anything, pretty much anything, so I'm not going to complain about this movie at all, because I will watch him in anything. Sure. All right, so the, the next thing I want to talk about is the ending and the actual final line spoken by Logan in this film which was, so this is what it feels like. And I think that is an absolutely brilliant final line and send off for a character. I think more than any other X-Men, I have to I think he is a favorite of a lot of people. And the meanings that you can take from that line, I think there's a, there's a lot of different things you could take from it. Uh, Scott Frank who's one of the co-writers talked about it being so this is what it feels like could be referring not only to his death and the fact that he knows that he's dying and is going to die but that also he feels like he's finally loved and which was something that charles was trying to get him 
to understand when they're at the Munson house. He's like, take it in. This is what a a a warm family dynamic is like. And it's not too late for you, Logan. You can have this. She can Laura can be this for you. And the fact that she calls him daddy as she's holding him and he and, and he's dying is it, it just it's it's again absolutely heartbreaking. But at the same time, it was just absolutely brilliant. I agree. Um, the ending is extremely powerful. The problem that I have, and I in no way, shape, or form mean to detract from your wonderful statement about how powerful it was, but I struggled in this movie because you and I are both from North Dakota, uh-huh. and you and I both know good and well <laughs> That they that is not, <laughs> they were not in North Dakota. No. And so every time they're talking about North Dakota and I'm looking at that, at best, you could get the Badlands in South Dakota out of some of those scenes if you squinted right. But there is no way that any portion of that was North Dakota. So I looked it up and I was like, ah, uh, they filmed a lot of this in New Mexico. Yeah. That's And I'm like, that looks way more like New Mexico than it does North Dakota. Unless at this point in the future, something has massively happened and North Dakota has become its own country and stretches much further south, then that is not North Dakota. I mean, I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, they're, they were definitely not in North Dakota. When there they are shot not this. that many pine trees in no. North Dakota. There are three things that you have in North Dakota. It is wind, mosquitoes, and prairie. Yes. There are no mountains like that. Well, there's really not any mountains like that. And there are no pines like that unless you are up along the Canadian border. And even then, it's still pretty darn flat. Like, the Peace Gardens are flat. There's no way. And yes. So, yes. It, so I don't mean to detract from your very sentimental and powerful statement. But that whole scene, the fight scene in his death, I'm like, there isn't even a tree like that for him to be stabbed <laughs> upon. No, of course not. I... Obviously, you'd have to live in North Dakota or been gone through North Dakota to realize that that was the case. But but I'm just talking about how this how it played out, how, you know, basically Logan and Laura were kind of she was upset that he wasn't going to stay with her. He was planning on just going to a bar now that he's gotten her to North Dakota and, and they were never going to see each other again. And then he finds out that 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 Dr. Rice and the Reavers are there and they're going to try and get the kids one last time. So he goes and he injects this this serum in himself that that the kids were injected with to kind of give them their mutant powers. But it also sort of kind of makes them kind of unable they're to steroids. Yeah, they're, they're like, right. Yeah, they kind of just induce this like uncontrollable rage they drank 50 red bulls yeah so so he goes and he starts you know doing things because he's he he is on this sort of super serum steroid thing but he starts coming down from that because he's doing all this running and he's beating up all these guys and killing a bunch of people and then he has to fight the x24 who he presumably is completely outmanned by now it with him being old and broken and not really able to self-heal or anything like this and it just even after he passes and the like the the short scene where they bury him and there's the cross in the ground 
And then Laura says a few words and the kids start walking away. And then Laura stands there for a moment, picks the the cross out of the ground, turns it 45 degrees and sets it down as an X. I remember bawling in the theater during the the um, the funeral scene for Tony Stark at Endgame. Uh-huh. And I was thinking that, you know, that's the first time that I'd really been that emotionally attached to a character that caused me to do that. I completely forgot. I did basically that exact same thing to Wolverine, this character, uh, a year plus prior. It is that just powerful. It is that gripping. What's interesting about that is another powerful moment for me in this film, and it was a little bit quieter of a moment, was early in the film. In when Logan is there with Professor X and Professor X is having one of his seizures, all for the, for colloquial purposes, I'll call it that. Yeah. And he tells, like, Logan makes a comment about him not recognizing him. Right. And Xavier replies, I always know, sometimes I don't recognize. Now, maybe it's because I went through the loss of some elderly family member in, in the past year but or maybe it was the fact that I've been watching Star Trek Picard, but I sort of felt like this was supposed to be Jackman's last Wolverine or Wolverine movie. And in many respects, we expected this to be the last time Patrick Stewart played Xavier. Now, right. he came back. We got to see him in um, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness in a cameo. Yeah. But for a lot of us, this is saying goodbye to both of those characters. Right. And. It's one of those things where I've always sort of, I've joked, but it's true because I will do this because Maggie Smith is one of my all-time favorite actresses. And when she passes away, I'm going to have to go watch the Marigold Hotel movie because in that movie, her character passes away and I cry at it every single time. I'll watch the Harry Potters first and then I'll get my tears out in Marigold Hotel. But like Picard's final season was a story about basically him getting on an age in a way in terms of his service in this movie he's we actually see him die and i was like if you think about it both this was the perfect way to wrap up both of those characters and Agreed. both of them got the send off they deserved but that doesn't mean i don't love the fact that xavier did a cameo and that wolverine is now going to be played with deadpool like yes. i'm here for both of them but when either of these actors pass I will be watching this movie again to relieve, relive their awesomeness. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely agree with that. And I, and I hadn't even considered that. Yeah. This is kind of the final time Patrick Stewart was really going to be professor Xavier as well. And so there was another kind of huge, huge thing. And there's just so much going on actually when he dies that it, that it just, you don't even get a chance necessarily to catch your breath but they end up burying him by a lake and, and that sort of thing. And so there, it was almost kind of a recreation of that at the end after Logan dies, same, same sort of, same, same sort of scenario. All right. Going from one thing I liked about this movie to one thing I did not like about this movie. And it is the trope of the only black people in the movie dying in some gruesome way or or some minority driving Gabriella as well as the nurse it is irritating to me that we have so many movies and tv shows where the minority characters end up dying as a way to either push the plot forward 
or to allow for some sort of character personal growth of the main white character in the story. And I, I remember in 2017 seeing this and thinking it felt weird and bad then. And we've had a lot of changes like society wise in the last six years to where I, I fully see it now and it, and it feels really bad and out of place. No, it does not feel, it does not look good. It doesn't feel good. And it's like, why is this here? You have nothing but basically white people doing these good, you know, the, the good guys. And then you've got all these other white guys that are the bad guys. And then like, you just have this random black family that is minding their own business and they end up, you know, basically getting caught in the crossfire and dying in a very grisly, grisly way in this. You and I touched on this topic a little bit before the podcast when we were sort of discussing it. And I absolutely agree with you. It has not aged well. I was thinking about it from a standpoint of, if I'm not mistaken, that family was in part of the Oklahoma period of our state yeah, right of around, the journey. Were yeah, they not? right around Oklahoma. Well, if, and if you think about black history in Oklahoma. And oh God, I didn't even think about that too. When, oh when, gosh. When, well, but I mean, and on one hand that makes it worse, but on the other hand, it may also sort of explain it because they're depicting these characters in a region which has its own history with black Americans. And so that it doesn't excuse it, but it might explain it, but you're right. It is a little bit problematic that you have three white characters, even though one of them is very fluent in Spanish and has been raised amongst Spanish-speaking people. The way they're, they de- are depicted in the film, I'm not saying anything about the comics, just the film, right. it does come across a little bit as three white people and the minorities are dying. On one note, I want to mention about Gabriella. When I was watching that movie for the first time in 2017, I recognized the actress immediately because, and this is for my other, other podcast, Daytime Confidential, she had played Carmen Morales on All My Children. And so she was a huge fan of Erica Kane. And she played the role of a maid for Adam Chandler, who is one of my all-time favorite soap opera characters. And I realized that in the multiverse of your podcast, soap operas probably do not come into the picture. But in the realm of all of my podcasts, it's a very big thing. And so... Like when I saw her in there, I was like, oh, that's her. I can't wait to see what happens. And then like 10 (laughs) minutes in, I'm like, oh, I don't wasn't so happy about what happened. And the other thing that I wanted to point out about the characters is in that the black family, I remember sitting in that movie and thinking how talented the son was. And. I was going through it and I like I rewatching it again. I was like, wait a second. Is that who I think it was? And it turns out that I didn't put it together at the time, but he starred in um, Legacies on the CW. He played a vampire on that show. And I'm like, I've watched him for how many ever seasons Legacies was on in that role. And he was equally as talented in that show. But it was one of those things where. Back then, I thought at the time, this is a talented actor. He's, I'm going to see him again. And I did. And I then I was like, I didn't put the connection together until I was re-watching it for this podcast. Yeah, we, we don't typically talk about soap operas on, on this show, but that is quite all right if, uh, if, if that's how characters and, and actors and actresses end up, you know, sort of, oh, hey, I recognize them from this. So. 
But to be fair, aren't the X-Men just one big soap opera? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, be- between uh, Scott Summers and 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 that, it's it's sort of, we have love triangles and things like this, so there yes, you go. Yes, yes, yes. One other thing, just kind of generally about this film that I think we should note is this is one of the few R-rated superhero films. I know we, you know, we've got a couple Deadpool movies that are R-rated as well, obviously, but it has been a while since I watched an R-rated film because most of them now are PG-13. They're trying to hit that that really big audience, and you have less, you know, static trying to get as much, you know families into the theater if it, if it's pg-13 and we had some really graphic fighting scenes we have some very adult themes throughout this film we have you know strong language and all this and and it it reminded me of oh yeah the, there is another level of of this that we aren't really seeing anymore because now it seems like every movie every superhero movie specifically is trying to hit that PG-13 rating. And it it was like almost too much for me, if I'm being perfectly honest. First of all, in regards to the violence, I am the type of person who, I don't in violence in films, if someone is shot with a gun, it doesn't phase me. Pull a trigger, bullet to the head, doesn't bother me in a film. I cringe, hide, cower, dive under blankets whenever it comes to stabbing. And I had forgotten how much stabbing was in this film. It felt, watching it again, for me, on the verge of excessive. But then this is a story that is supposed to be this way. But Uh you bring up a point about the PG-13. There's something to be said for what this film did at that time. Because this film proved that you could have a rated R movie, have it a superhero movie, have it be a success. And it was critically acclaimed. Yeah. The, thing that, the thing that Disney Marvel is running into now is that the superhero universe after the Infinity Stones has felt a little rudderless. And... There's been criticism that they they they're using the same formula over and over and over with all these different heroes. Right. Maybe it's maybe it's time to do ironically what DC movies do best and have some standalone movies because let's face it, the DCU as movies sucks. <laughs> they terrible. suck. But DCU can make some singularly strong either individual solo movies or Batman franchise trilogies. Maybe it's time that they take some of these characters and do with them what happened with Logan. Now, you can't do it the same way, but it might sort of be the medicine to help heal what is ailing the MCU now or the fatigue that many viewers are having with the MCU. Yeah, I mean, I think about some of the, you know, we t- I mentioned adult themes and you think about some of the things that they touch on in this film that we wouldn't, it doesn't feel like we've seen in the MCU recently. You're talking about old age and losing yourself and your faculties. You're talking about death and the process of dying talking about suicide, talking about alcoholism. There is some really adult things going on in here, and it is not for everybody. Genetic engineering? 
I liked the fact that it felt like an adult film. Like it, the fact, you know, I don't need to see, you know, the claws taking off arms and heads and things like that. That that got a bit much, but like the fact that it was touching on some of these these really important topics, things that are actually relatable and things that that you know you have to deal with in real life. Seeing those kind of portrayed out in the, the in this movie, I thought was really really interesting and really added to the fact that it ended up being such a good film. And I also think that it speaks to the strength of the X-Men just as the X-Men and the fact, I mean, Logan is part of that, but the difference between the X-Men and say the DCs, a lot of the DC comic characters are all gods and they're like these people with like unlimited powers. The X-Men has always, even though you had a team and you had these big stories, there was always a lot of character that was the foundation that the big stories were built on. And I think that that is one thing that can be said for many of, though not all, of the X-Men movies. Many of them had some very well-grounded character development with those characters that a lot of the movies in the MCU, even the ones that we love, like my favorite, one of my favorites is Thor Ragnarok or the first Guardians of the Galaxy. There's character development in there, but there's not. it's not the same type of character development that's in Logan, and it's right. not necessarily the same type of character development that's in Days of Future Past. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So it's interesting, when I was, when I was reading about this, they, there was a quote from James Mangold talking about the R rating specifically, and, it, and he was like, it was really important to them that they got this R rating, that they wanted to do this not just because of the, like the violence, but also he said for the style. He says, for me, what was most important in getting the studio to an okay and R-rated rating was something entirely different. They suddenly let go of the expectations that this film was going to play for children. And when they let go of that, you are free in a myriad of ways. The scenes can be longer. The ideas being explored and dialogue or otherwise can be more sophisticated storytelling pace can be more poetic and less built like attention span deficit theater. And, and, and it's interesting too, Hugh Jackman actually took a pay cut in order to help ensure that the studio would be okay with taking an R rating for this film. So Mangold and Jackman right from the start, were looking at this being, this is an adult film. This is going to touch adult topics. It's going to be important that we can go as far as we need to go to do that, they were able to to compromise and get everything so that they could do that. And I'm glad they did because the, the movie is better for it as a result. Hopefully he got some, uh, some back end residuals because he took a upfront pay cut. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they don't, they didn't seem to hurt that that much in the, uh, in the box office take. That's for sure. All right, Luke, normally at about this time, we start talking about some, some interesting tidbits about the film and and different things that happened and uh th this movie's no exception so uh definitely jump in if you've got got some thoughts on any of these so principal photography for this film started on May 2nd 2016 so a little less than a year from before its release and it had the name Juarez they i i like looking at some of the names uh the code names for the films uh, when the, when they're in principal photography and and those are always really interesting. The, this movie takes place 
six years after Wolverine woke up in the alternate 2023 at the end of X-Men Days of Future Past movie that you and I both said that we, we liked quite a bit. However, it was later confirmed that the previous X-Men films took place on Earth 10,005, while the Logan film takes place on Earth 17,315. So this is actually apparently a completely different version of Logan and Wolverine than the Logan and Wolverine that we saw in all the other X-Men films. So they mul- can say that multiverseness, of course. They can say that, but it's still Hugh Jackman to me, and it's all one for me. Yes. Like they can say yeah. whatever they want about these other universes, but uh-huh. when it comes down to it, the only multiverse one was Xavier in the Doctor Strange multiverse right. of madness, because that literally said multiverse of madness. Exactly. All the r- other ones for for Logan, it's the same one. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. Can't convince me of it. So to your point about the film, the film was shot primarily in and around New Orleans with a month of exterior work filming in New Mexico, like we talked about for for, for that final scene. North Dakota. <laughs> when, when they got to some of the filming in New Mexico, Patrick Stewart was off doing a stage production at the time. So they had to intercut footage that had been previously shot in and around New Orleans into the shooting that was taking place in New Mexico in order for that big first escape scene at the uh, abandoned dig site in, in Mexico very early on in the film, which I think is interesting. And they were talking about the fact that, you know, there was in the in the commentary for the film, they were talking about how it was like, that was New Me- that was New Mexico, that was New Orleans, that was New Mexico, that was New Orleans. And over the span of about two minutes, it kind of flipped about a dozen times because of who was in the shot. That makes sense. Actually crazy how they can do that and, and make it look so seamless. Hugh Jackman induced dehydration for 48 hours prior to filming scenes with the Wolverine shirtless. So that he could Thank lose, you. so that he could lose water weight. Uh, he added that that method is very dangerous, despite the fact that he has done it one other time, and that no one should attempt to do that at home. All I have to say is thank you for your sacrifice. It was it was much appreciated. Patrick Stewart claimed that much of that dialogue that we saw during the dinner table scene at the Munson house, in which Logan and Charles Xavier tell the family about the school for mutants was improvised by the actors at the request of the director, James Mangold, after having filmed takes with the scripted dialogue and it not working. I I love when they do improvisational and and it just sort of, you you never know what's improvisational, what they're able to come up with. And that scene flows really well, too, when they're talking at at the kitchen table. All right, next, Daphne Keene, who played Laura, was 11 years old at the time of the filming of the movie and so was not actually allowed to inside the casino, the Harris Casino that we saw in Oklahoma City, even with all the correct shooting permits. So some of the shots were done with Keene on a green screen and some were shot in the actual casino with Keene's body double, 
who was over 18 but had a very similar build to Keen. I thought I thought that was really interesting. And I was like, there's a young girl in a casino in this movie. And it's like, that doesn't seem like that should be allowed. But there she is. See, I just figured they green screened it, to be honest. Like, I figured they could set up that shot with background from like of the thing and just have that display case there and then just green screen it. So I, that's what I assumed happened. And so apparently they did part of that, but then also used the body double as well. Okay, so speaking of the hotel scene, we have Xavier who loses control and then does that that psionic thing that causes everyone to be incapacitated. It was really ingenious how they ended up doing that. So apparently, rather than handing over that scene to an effects house to do CG work for that, they essentially used a program currently available on smartphones that takes shaky film footage and attempts to smooth it out. And Mangold saying, what we did was we used that technology, only we shook the camera like mad. So they actually just kind of did this sort of thing and and caused caused the kind of that rippling that we saw in, in that theater. And it, and it helped them on budget and actually made, I think, that looked really realistic sort of. You know, when you're thinking about Xavier, you know, doing something with his mind that is basically affecting everyone in a casino, what that's got to look like. I, I think it I think it turned out really well. It sort of reminded me of Cloverfield. And from that perspective, it was Cloverfield made me a little ill watching it. Uh, but this wasn't quite that bad, but it definitely gave me some deja vu from Cloverfield. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that. So, so one last thing, the movie has some comic books in it. And we, we learned that Eden that they're talking about going to from North Dakota in Canada is, is in this comic book that Laura has. And so those comic books are not actually X-Men, real published X-Men comics. But the art department spared no expense to make them look real. They even brought in famed artist and former Marvel editor-in-chief Joe Quesada to draw them, which lent to their authentic look. And and I was I was looking at those when they when it when like Logan's looking at them and he realizes where they want to go to North Dakota, go to Eden. Uh it was it, I was like, is that a, a real issue? And no, it's not a real issue, but it looked great. It looked real. I just realized this. They thought that North Dakota and South Dakota were the same thing because that all could be passed off as the Black Hills. That's what they did. That's what they did. They thought North Dakota and South Dakota were the same thing. They would not be the first people to do that. Boy, is there a difference. Yeah. All right. A couple quick references from the comics that we saw in this film, the name Logan used as the driver, James Howlett, is his birth name from the comics and in X-Men Origins Wolverine from 2009. One of the comics that actually Laura had in her bag was a real comic book, X-Men 132. This comic actually had the first appearance of the X-Men villain, Donald Pierce. Donald Pierce being the head of the Reavers, who is pursuing them throughout this entire film. So that's that's pretty cool as well. And then one last thing here, although the theme of death and disease is present throughout the film, the song When the Man Comes Around by Johnny Cash 
also can be seen as a nod to two of the characters' pasts in comic continuity, Logan and Caliban, who was kind of Logan's aide in helping take care of Professor Xavier when they're when they're in Mexico. Those two were actually members of uh, the Apocalypse's horsemen, Logan being death and Caliban being both death and pestilence. So the, both these characters have seen other action in, in in the comic in the comic books as 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 horsemen for the apocalypse. Which I don't think I don't think I want to see Logan if I if I'm going to die. I think that means I'm dead. You point. mean you mean the gr- like the Grim Reaper? Instead of a sigh, he arrives with some like claws, adamantium claws. And yeah, right? Yeah, that well, makes that'd be one way to go. Make makes quick work of it. All right, Luke, normally we look at some comic books to get us ready for the movie. We didn't have time to go over some comic books for this this week. But if you or any of you that are listening want to check out some comic books that would pair well with the 2017 film Logan, we've got a couple suggestions for you. There is an X-23 series from 2005. It is Laura Kinney's first standalone uh, comic book series. It is six issues. It gives her backstory and talks all about her and uh, how how she eventually becomes uh, with with all the animantium skeleton and claws and, and all that sort of thing. And then the other series, I think, pretty obviously is the Old Man Logan series, which is, spans about three series and about 50 issues as well as an annual we didn't we didn't have time to go through 50 some odd issues to get us ready for this podcast but i from what i hear those books are very dystopian very graphic very very adult oriented so uh if you're if you're a younger listener these these may be that that set of books isn't necessarily uh the best one to start out with I definitely want to get the six issue series for sure. And I agree with you. I'm not sure I could handle the old man Logan series that like, I'm not a huge fan of dystopian. I enjoy some of it in film, but I'm not a huge fan of it in books. And so I don't know that I would enjoy it in this story, even though Logan is a great character. So we read Moon Knight. We read pretty much every appearance of Moon Knight prior to going over to comics over time, one of my favorite versions or volumes of Moon Knight that I read was actually a a Charlie Heston, David Finch run from the early 2000s. In that series, we see a Mark Spector as this old, broken down, sort of alcoholic, pill-taking post superhero just trying to survive and and not really surviving sort of thing and then he goes back and he ends up having to fight people and and things like this and and it very much actually sort of reminds me of this movie uh as well and and I really liked that but I that was only about 12 or or 15 issues something like this I don't know if I could stand doing 50 issues of that though mm that makes sense all right, we are approaching the end. So before we go, I'm we're going to look ahead to next week. And Dan is still going to be on vacation next week. So I am going to be back with you with another guest host. And we are going to be talking about another movie. 
a movie that is based on another comic book series, uh, we're going to be discussing the movie Constantine. So if you want to watch the movie Constantine and then join us for the discussion on Constantine on next week's show. That would be exciting. The movies are a little bit creepy. I prefer the Constantine character on television because that one for the TV show where he has his self-titled TV show and then ends up in Legends of Tomorrow, the actor who portrays him, whose name slips my mind at the moment, is amazing. So I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about the movies because that thing creeped me the hell out. I've never actually seen the movie Constantine, so this is going to be my first viewing of the film. Uh, and then I'm and then going to talk about it uh, next week. So that should be that should be interesting. Have fun with that. Luke, thank you so much for joining us this week. I really appreciate you jumping in for Dan, giving us a great movie to, to watch and then and then join us for the discussion. I really appreciate it. Of course, you know, I'd be more than happy to jump on and talk about some Wolverine. I love the character. It reminded me of something that I was going to mention earlier in the podcast. You mentioned it about dystopian and uh, different worlds. And you know what? When it comes to the R rating, the movies that I would like, I would like to see John Wick and Wolverine in a movie together and see how that goes. Uh, Like, let's bring those two multiverses together and have John Wick and Wolverine. It would be a blast. And that kind of insanity is the insanity that you will hear me spout off on my podcast, Geek Confidential. I have a couple other podcasts, but you can find those on my social. On Twitter, I'm at Luke underscore Kerr, and I have a link to all the different podcasts there. Though I am going to be moving over to threads. I'm making the transition over into threads. So we'll see how active I am on Twitter in the future. But for the moment, I'm making the transition. It's very hard to transition social medias when you've yeah. been on one for a very long time. And I've got a thousand over a thousand episode podcast episodes in which I'm like, you can find me on Twitter at Luke underscore Kerr. Well, what do you do when you have a thousand in some yeah. episodes where you yeah. said that? I mean, you got to keep it. But it's not where I spend my time anymore. A lot of my time, I should say. Totally understand. We're we're looking at potentially making making the move as well. We're just not quite sure where we're going to go. We we did create a Hive social account at one time. It's been difficult to keep uh, updated. So it, I would not be surprised if nobody's been able to uh, to really join us on there or want to uh, because of that. Well, I would encourage you to check out Threads. I'm enjoying it so far in part because I don't have to worry about bots. I don't have to worry about the politics of stuff because of the way things go. And to me, it feels very like 2017 on Twitter where I could just log in, talk with people about whatever my favorite topics were. It does, the the, the app has some issues, but they're saying they're going to be addressing those and those issues being things like hashtags and that type of stuff. But like, those are things that can be improved for now. I'm just enjoying the opportunity to chat with people about stuff on social media without having to worry about things showing up in my feed that I have no interest in because sure. someone has changed the settings on a, on the entire site. Yeah, no, I t- totally get it. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. And with that, that's going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. 
If you're new to the podcast or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Maybe you saw Logan. We'd love to hear your thoughts on on the movie. You can send those thoughts to us via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. Or you can reach out to us via Twitter. That address is at Comics Over Time. Luke, it was great having you join us this week and talking about such a wonderful film. We should definitely do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And until next week, everybody, take care.